0: This is the last podcast I'll be doing for New York City. Um, it's been another big week here, but I was fascinated. Let's get straight into it. You tweeted during the week, you couldn't understand, and it sounds like a loaded conversation you've given who the two of us are. You said you couldn't understand how the NBL doesn't have any business coaches. You said Sydney has Daniel Kiddick, and the rook floating around, and that's about it. What, what, brought, yeah. you, what brought you to tweet that?
1: Well, there's obviously the narrative that the post game's dead. Like, why do you need bigs? But it, it just is something that I've spoken about previously that there is a real lack of bigs. And the reason I tweeted it was if you look at the MVP candidates right now Xavier Cooks, they yeah. use him in the post, Keanu Pinder has the best post game in the league at the moment. And Mitch Creek, probably three of your top four candidates for MVP are getting it done on the inside. And I'm not seeing a whole lot of defensive schemes or defensive um, play to be able to stop guys from scoring in the post at the moment. Uh, I mentioned Kicks in Sydney with obviously Longley, Obviously, Bogues is there as well. Uh, I know Longley has a a good relationship with Geordie Hunter at the moment and works with him. Uh, There is Greg Vandijek in Brisbane. There's Scott Roth in Tasmania as a former NBA big um, who also has Mika Vacona working from time to time. But then if you look at the rest of the the clubs, Perth, there's John Reilly and Mike Kelly. Guards. Adelaide, there's CJ Bruton and Jamie Perlman. Guards. Cairns, uh, 40 and uh, you got Kerry Williams there.
0: There's none
1: around the league. There's none. And I just was throwing out there why more teams don't try to acquire the help of a big. They don't necessarily have to be an assistant, but what, what could Melbourne United lose bringing yourself or Mark Bradkey down every now and then to do a session or, or, or the Phoenix, for that matter? Um, I just, when people are saying that the post game's dead, yes, the ball doesn't go into the post as much. But I was fortunate to have you as a coach. I was fortunate enough to have Luke Longley as an assistant with the national team. The knowledge that you guys impart, not just on the offensive end, but defensive positioning, I found more important than the offensive side of things. And so when we've got three guys that are currently dominating this league and doing it out of the post as well, I didn't think there could be any harm with having that conversation of why isn't there more bigs out there helping clubs.
0: It's an interesting conversation because people just see the post game's dead. But as a big, let's just talk offensively for a second. You've got to be a threat. You've got to be able to get the ball in the front of the room and finish and finish through contact or finish over an opposition. Now, that doesn't mean you have to make a post move, but you've got to be able to catch it in your spots. You've got to be able to get your guards into space. You've got to understand how to set good screens, what angle to set screens on to benefit your guards. You need to understand how to get away from the screen quickly and be a again. As a big, you watch the game and, and so much that doesn't happen because you don't get penalised anymore for switching everything because, like you say, it's not that the post-game's dead. There's just not many good bigs in the NBL. They're all in Europe and they're all in the NBA. So we have a lot of young bigs coming through the game that aren't getting taught what I got taught and, and what you got taught and what others got taught. But the other thing about bigs is that we had this conversation not so long ago in the NBA too. Look at your MVP candidates in the NBA. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bigs, skilled bigs and high IQ bigs dominate the game because no one's getting taught how to defend them. No one's getting taught how to attack them. Um, There's more to it than just what you do with the ball in your hand. So I've always been a little bit analytical, a little bit mathematical that if you break down the amount of time that any player outside of point guard has, has the ball in their hands each game, and turn it into a percentage. It's somewhere around one to two percent of the game time. Yet all anyone's interested in in skill development is what we do in that two percent of the time when we've got the ball in our hands. We don't train what we do the other ninety-eight percent of the time when we don't. Then that's the part that's missing. Forget the post game. It's the ninety-eight percent of the. It's a 98% of a game of basketball where you don't have the ball, where you need to get the ball in the right position or stop your opponent from being damaging in the positions they want to be. That's what's not getting caught to get the post move. You know what
1: I'll find interesting once Aaron Baines comes into the fold under the new Sammy Mac era? Aaron Baines is the best screen setter in the league. I think he... He showed glimpses in the preseason that if he short rolls, he can keep a guy on his back and get the ball. Like, he'll get a ton of free throws if Sammy can find a way to put Bainesy in a position uh, of being a threat. Now, I don't think he was a threat under James Duncan. I I felt like he was on the perimeter too much, and he's too valuable of a guy to have on the perimeter with someone that sets a screen like that, that rolls as hard as what he does and has great positioning. Now, on the flip side of that, who's gonna know how to guard that? Who who's gonna who's gonna thrive in guarding Aaron Baines in a pick and roll situation with him sealing? I can't think of a guy. I know the most likely candidate is Derek Pardon and maybe Alan Williams, but I got to see uh, from memory, that Baines had pardon on his back in all the short roll situations in the preseason game and wasn't able to handle him.
0: So, so even, even if, I mean, a, the, the guy, Sylvie's so going to be better, Kadee's going to be better, just, just by putting the ball in Baines's hand, like you said, in a threatening position. I, I, if I'm coaching against Aaron Baines, I'm willing to live with him taking some threes and knocking a couple down. That's fine because he's not on the offensive glass. That's probably six points a game that they're not getting because he's on the perimeter. He's not demanding that other defenders take an extra step of help off their shooter to come and help him, giving his teammates high percentage perimeter looks. I just think once Aaron Baines finds his spots and Sam finds a way to get the ball to him in his spots, I just think you find all of these. teammates needs to come and hug me. It's just your open line for a fear and how to shoot it or when they have to double. It. It's one of two things. Either you create space for your guards by being able to shoot it and Baines can do that. Or you demand that they come and send a, send a second defender or at least an extra step and be a willing passer. We, but we, again, we're not teaching it.
1: <clears throat> I feel like uh, James Duncan fell in the trap that he was around when Andrew Bogut was getting coached. And he's trying to use Baines in the same way that Bogart was used. Now, no offense to Bainesy, but he's not the passer that Bogart is. Um, and no offense to Bogart, but he's not the sealer that Baines can be in this league around the rim. I think they're two different players at the end of the day. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see it. Uh, the, just touching on Brisbane quickly, uh, I know you wouldn't have seen the game, but you can definitely see the changes that Sammy's already made, the simplification of the offense uh, that they're getting out and getting into transition. If I was Sam, I would have sat down with Bainesy. I would have sat down with Sobey. I would have sat down with Tyler and I would have sat down with Kade and I said, would have said, Jace, it's your job to get the guys the ball, which... It looks like he's been doing it, but also picking his spots on offense. Tyler, you're coming in. We need you to shoot. Don't hesitate. Sobes, we need you to get in transition and attack the rim. Baines, we need to get you more into picking rolls and setting early ones and getting into the offense. I like where they're heading, but they're just plagued with injuries. Tanner Krebs went down with a bad ankle. Um, we saw that DJ Mitchell only popped in ten minutes before the game uh, the other day, and he's shooting in unbelievable. He's over fifty percent at the moment from three. By the way, he's having a great, great season. Um, Sobs is becoming more prominent, and Kadee's uh, been a much better facilitator for this group. So I think Brisbane are trending in the right direction, even after a fifteen-point loss to the Jack Jumpers on on the week. I haven't
0: seen them, but they're and they're in a race against the clock. And unfortunately, they're sitting down towards the bottom and it's a nice little segue as a Melbourne United. Now, they're missing two, Jock Landale and Joe a two quality bigs that United have lost over the last two years. And maybe that reiterates the importance, but I know you've got some pretty strong opinions. Again, I haven't seen United play for the last three weeks. They sit second from last. Losing to Illawarra and getting blown out by Illawarra. That, that's not in Melbourne United DNA. There's some things going on there. We read in the media about John Tucker being the most... The, the guy much happy to celebrate, celebrate his own mate when his team's losing, which isn't a good look when you're not doing well. But tell me, what do United need, mate? How can you? Yeah, look,
1: uh, I'm I'm one, I'm more of an eye test person, but sometimes stats can be valuable. That uh, statistically, Melbourne United is eighth in offense at the moment and sixth in defense. Now they're not elite on either side of the ball at the moment. What I think needs to happen is. There's a real chance that Shae might may not play again this year if the concussion things is as bad as what has been reported. And I think you need to have XRM coming off the bench as a bit of a spark because they don't have much of a spark at the moment. If I was Melbourne United, I'd be cutting Rajon Tucker. I'd be cutting Marcus Lee. I know he just came in, but he's not. The person that they need i've continually preached that i think that they will get jla back from china and that will happen fairly soon
0: maybe two years
1: jalen adams is out there i think he can be a better facilitator and run the team but i think they need to get something in that 4-3 area which is not easy to come by by the way Now,
0: Pete, like, Ling, Pete Ling's back or Pete Ling needs to come back so that helps Pete, 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 Pete Ling is
1: back but the, they're one of the worst transition teams in the league which either says that they're slow or they're getting the ball out of the bottom of the net every time um so they need to get they, they need to get speed. They they do have an older roster. Let's, the, the, let's not sugarcoat it. The part
0: that I found interesting, and clearly I'm close with some people around the club, and you, you talk about the eye test when they put their roster together. What, one of the great things is, I got towards the end of my career, and I, I think you might feel the same. But when you get into your thirties, you have days when you're flat, and you have days when your body's just not quite up to what it takes who play a lot of minutes in an NBL game. And, and same with your mind. And, and as an older player, you can gain energy or from the young kids and, and the motivation and the energy they've got at the end of the bench. You, you look down United's bench and you think, okay, we're flat tonight. Who do we put in that's got that youthful, that's dynamic, that can get out and create a highlight and maybe get, get some energy into the building that's... And a lot of them all, but Barlow don't have that young, energetic, or even if it's like you say XRM, you don't go to the bench for a spark. You go to the bench for system and strategy and high IQ. And I think that's winning them against the more athletic teams.
1: Yeah, they've definitely, you can sense the frustration from Dino and, It'll be nothing that he hasn't heard before uh, over this this last couple of months. Uh, Dean's a really high IQ basketball coach, and he'll he'll understand that his roster isn't where it needs to be, and we're getting to that point where a change needs to happen now. Otherwise, it's going to be a lost season for United. Um, A ton of really good people on that roster, but good people don't always lead to good basketball teams at the end of the day.
0: <laughs> and um,
1: they they need someone that just has a bit more of – I spoke about it last week, like the Greg Hire that can just come on, put the clamps on defensively, get you an offensive rebound when you're not supposed to get it. Like that sort of person that you can just rely on to – change the momentum of a game through nothing else but sheer effort and um, i just don't know where they're getting that spark from at the moment and like even last night rajon tucker had a good game but why are you flexing on people when you're 14 points down in the fourth quarter there you go and for the second game in a row that he's done that like yeah, you're you're a little bit stronger than someone else, but you're also losing at the moment. Stop it, mate! Like, it makes no sense to me. Anyway, Melbourne, Melbourne got some changes that I think need to happen ASAP. I'm
0: going to talk, I'm going to talk about a change, and we're, we're flipping it here for a minute. I want to take you back to the women's World Cup with the fantastic campaign that the Opals had. We. Spoke publicly and we've spoken privately and I, I think it's no secret that the Opals are missing a point guard, but they don't and Shiloh here missed that team and she's clearly in line to get her opportunity to play for the Australian Opals and she progresses even further. I watched the next Australian Opals point guard last week and I've been saying this for a long time so Georgia Amor is at Virginia Tech. And I was lucky to see her play because she's friends with my daughter, Izzy. She missed down on state teams by the skin of her teeth when she was, so national teams when she's 18s, uh, under 16s, and they took, as you've almost described with Melbourne United, girls who are incredibly talented players in their own right, really, really high IQ and into the structure side of women's basketball in my opinion, with a ceiling that's not quite as high as what Georgia's is. Now, Georgia took a scholarship at Virginia Tech and for the minute she walked in the door and some of the the workouts you see her doing and the play play she's making, she can play basketball. She plays like what we now know to be some of the import guards who come over. She's got the flair required and the skill required the defensive tenacity required, the IQ required, now that she's matured over the last few years to be an Opal, the fact that she isn't on that Opal squad now is laughable. I hope that they've invited her and I hope that she said no. Because if the Australian Opal are listening, if basketball Australia is listening, and you haven't called George Raymore pick up the phone, call her get into camp, you're welcome. It's, it's that simple. She's had, and you start talking historic numbers, Virginia Tech's first triple-double in program history, and I know that's just a one-off statistic, it's one game. But I think you understand as a starting point guard of the set number seven ranked team in the nation and their best player to have a triple-double against another high-quality program. You don't do that if you're not elite. Um, i found myself tweeting about her last week. I felt the need to bring it up on this podcast because I think that she's been overlooked for too long now and people don't need to start looking in the direction of George Draymond. I,
1: I, I like it, Chris. You, you Obviously, you're close to it all because of your daughter Izzy and all that. Projecting to 2024 Olympics, 2026 World Cup. Yep. Outside of Georgia, who should we be looking for? Who would you predict to come into this Opals team? Obviously, we've just come off a very successful World Cup, Um, getting back into the medals, having Lauren Jackson return. Obviously, you want to capitalize on that momentum that the Opals have have bought over the last six months looking into the future outside of Georgia who else should we be looking at that's currently in the college system or or playing back at home that should or well, you expect to get a green gold jersey in the future
0: I'll, I'll probably answer it and clearly I've mentioned Shyla. Um, she'll put herself in the mix and I, I think in a very similar way again it's almost like a theme but The Opals, some of them, in my opinion, are on their last major tournament campaign. And basketball Australia needs to be really, really careful. I said at the time, I think the boomers missed an opportunity with Josh Giddey, and I think the Opals missed an opportunity with Shiloh Hill to bring them along to the Tokyo Olympic Games, knowing that the 12th player is not going to win or lose you a game anyway, but understanding that in two years or four years' time providing them with that invaluable experience of being around a major senior tournament will drastically improve their adjustment coming into their next tournament. So I think they missed an opportunity. I think they need to make sure they continue to bring those types of players in. We can't go into our next major event with more than three or four players over the age of 32. We can't do it. We need to make sure that we keep introducing you. We need to make sure we continue to invest in Ezra McBegger, who's one of the best athletes in women's basketball in the world. She's one of the best defenders of genuine athletic leagues. in, in Team USA and teams who are going to challenge us. You know, I hope Alana Smith takes another step. I hope Anna Maley takes another step. I know she was on that last team. Um I haven't seen the college girls enough to say that they should be opals, but I do know that we've got. You mentioned yeah, Izzy's under nineteen silver medal winning team that almost knocked off the USA. The girl, there's a bunch of girls on that team who they need to make sure they're keeping a very close eye. And I'm sure they are, but but we need guards. We need point guards. Um, Whatever it takes to unearth them, to find them, to develop them, it just has to happen because we can't go in and, you know, like you said with United these great people, but we can't go in for a World Cup with Sammy Wickham and Tess Match and running the point. They're natural twos. They're natural. They, they play better without the ball in their hands. We need players who can run a team with the ball in their hands for the majority of the game.
1: It's funny, the uh, reversals between the Opals and the Boomers where the Opals uh, traditionally, uh, well, I'll talk about the Boomers. We've just got a plethora of great guards at the moment and short on the big stocks, but previously were really heavy in the big stocks and short on the guards and and vice versa for the Opals. So interesting development there. And um, like you said, I'm sure Basketball Australia is paying attention um, but there's definitely some great talent over in the, the college system. Uh, you, you've obviously – you're on your tour at the moment. I know you're in – you've been to a few games at Madison Square Garden and you've been to Boston Garden recently. I, I happen to be watching the game. and I thought I'd give you a call to see where you were. You are actually at the Boston-Miami game that went into overtime the other day. Um, talk to us about that experience for you.
0: Can I, can I say it's, it's one of the things – We've spent a lot of time. I'll leave Dallas out of it. Let, let's stay on the East Coast, up here. I mentioned on last week's podcast, Barclays Centre in Brooklyn, it's a mall. There's no atmosphere at all. There are a few ooms and ours but Durant and Irving, that's it. Mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden, I think I figured it out with the home wind last night, is that. The Liberty is incredible. When you walk in the Madison Square Garden, you know you're walking into history. Um, There's there's a sense of being in the place that something special could happen. But the thing at Madison Square Garden is that the more you're there, you begin to understand that some people come just to be in Madison Square Garden. The team's at times irrelevant. Um, The one thing everyone at Madison Square Garden does is they barrack the New York, not the New York Knicks, They're New York. But they'll go to support anyone that is New York. And that's an incredible experience. But it's not parochial like what I, I walked into the, into the TD gun into Boston. That's a different thing. That's parochial. That's a, I, I, didn't, I actually didn't realise how small a town Boston is. It's 700,000 people. It's like Bendigo. But it's got global brands because of the patriotism and the the support of base. It it was insane. From the minute you walk in, you just feel like it's going to be hard for a team to win in here. It's loud. It's buzzing. The crowd's riding Jason Tatum jump shots from three minutes into the game. NBA fans generally take a while to warm in a game. They rode every single possession. And when Jalen Brown hit a game-tying three, one of the loudest stadiums that I've been in, especially for a late November regular season game, which is crazy. Um, I've played in that stadium before; it was nothing like that because we were terrible. Um, we also got to go into their training facility, and we toured their facility. And thank you to Austin Ainge at the Boston Celtics for taking us around. Danny Ainge's son, who is in his general manager of uh, Bathball operations. But you walk in and you sense history. You walk in and you understand how important the club is to the city. Everybody in that thing is invested. And it was one of the highlights of the Tour for Our Group already, just to walk around that and to get to that game. Man, the Boston fan base is incredible. So, it was a, it was a, one of the highlights of my trip, and I've been around a lot of basketball as you know, but to see that crowd and experience it from a situation where it was all care and no responsibility, I can't wait to get back to TD Garden and watch another game.
1: Yeah, and like I said, thanks to Austin who I got to meet last night on FaceTime uh, with his uh, terrible Aussie accent, but I appreciate the effort nonetheless, but uh, I know that you speak very highly of him and what he was able to do for you and your group, and that's uh, pretty awesome.
0: Tom, um, we've got a couple more things, and the last one we're going to have a little bit of fun with. But before we, uh, we get into the fun, uh, you wanted to talk about Anthony Davis. I- I'll lead in by saying that it seems to me that the Lakers have finally figured out they it can't be LeBron's team anymore. And Anthony Davis doesn't seem to be carrying the Eagles he has. He's been incredible the last five or six, but you wanted to talk about his last two games. Well, I mean, when you score 99
1: points over two games, um, 55 against Washington the other night. I mean, as you said, it they've figured out that it's not LeBron's team anymore and they have to go through AD. Um, and to a point, I feel like AD was hesitant to take over the reins out of respect for LeBron. Um, Look, LeBron's still a fantastic player. Shit, he, If you want him to be your, your Robin to the supposed Batman, I think most teams would take him as a Robin. Um, Westbrook coming off the bench looks a lot better for, for them. I'm still intrigued by all the trade talk around the Lakers and what they're willing to give up and what they're trying to get. But the most important thing is that AD's healthy. He's getting the ball a lot more. He's been efficient in what he's doing. I feel like there's not so many um, frustrated threes, so to speak. The ball's going into the post. The ball's in the mid block. The ball's on the elbow with him. He's he's a great player, and he's a lob threat. On top of all of that, his ability to to go and get it at the rim. He's just been really fun to watch the last – this is an AD we haven't seen probably since the championship year with the Lakers in the bubble uh, where he was playing some great basketball. The last couple of years have been very lean with him. Um, He's copped a lot of shit, street clothes, uh, as Charles Barkley calls him, just calls him street clothes because he's always in them. Um, But, yeah, I think – He's proving a point that he is one of the better players in this league. When healthy, he can still go. But I I, I felt it would be remiss of us not to point out how good of a a couple of games that he's had. The first Laker to have back-to-back 40-point games since Kobe Bryant.
0: Well, it's like the Chiefs go. Let's hope it's another one for the bigs. It seems to have been a theme. But um, the way we're going to finish is we're I'll I'll let you end it. But... um... We've recorded our first guest interview. we always going to be something special. So we scoured the globe. We got our favourite player, my daughter Izzy. So that'll be up soon. We had a lot of fun with that. But we also wanted to bring one of your boys, Taz, and get get involved. So one of two things is going to happen right here. Either this podcast is going to end, because we can't sort the be out, or you tell us what's going to happen to end this episode, mate.
1: Um, Well, I've got two boys, Taz and Axel, uh, and they're really into their basketball at the moment. And I sort of spoke to to Taz because he keeps asking me, who do I think is going to win and and why and all that? And I said, well, why don't you tell me? So um, we're going to do Taz's tips for the round. This is Taz, the 13-year-old boy. He might be 13, but I think you'll find that he's quite intelligent. He's got his finger on the pulse and – this is Taz's tips.
2: For the first game, I think New Zealand will be able to take this out over the Kings, even though the Kings are on top. I feel like Derek Pardon will be able to stop their offence around the rim, and all three of Will McDowell, White, Derek and Joel Brantley will be able to generate too much offence for the Kings. For the second game, I think South East Melbourne will be able to take this out over Illawarra because Illawarra is not a team you want to worry about. They're 2-10 and bottom of the ladder. And Alan Williams is coming off some hot games and I don't think Illawarra will be good enough defensively to stop him. For the third game, it was a very close game against Adelaide and Perth. They're 6th and 7th on the ladder. But I think Adelaide coming off a win to the Taipans will be able to take it out over Bryce Cotton and the Perth Wildcats. For the fourth game, Cairns Taipans versus Illawarra Hawks. Once again, Illawarra is bottom of the ladder. 2-10, and ten, not a team you want to worry about. And with McCool coming back, I think Taipans should blow this team out. For the fifth game, Melbourne United vs Brisbane Bullets. I think the Bullets should win because Melbourne United are on a downfall of a five-game losing streak and Brisbane Bullets are getting Aaron Baines back, which should help them push them over the line to get this win. For the sixth game, another tough game with South East Melbourne versus Adelaide Day Sixers. South East Melbourne will win again, going two from two for this week because of Alan Williams once again. I think that he'll be able to push them over the line even though Adelaide have Robert Franks. I think Owls will just outplay them. For the seventh game, Sydney Kings versus Jack Jumper's. I think Sydney should should win this because of people like Xavier Cooks on the team and they should be able to outplay Josh Jett and the Jack Jumpers. And for the eighth and final game, Perth Wildcats versus Melbourne United, like before what I said about Melbourne, they're a five-game losing streak and Perth should blow by the team quite easily.
0: Thanks. Great job. Thanks everyone for listening. Thanks,
1: See ya.